0: Welcome to the MindBeat Podcast by Effective School Solutions. I'm your host, Duncan Young, CEO of Effective School Solutions. And
1: I'm your co-host, Lane Whitaker, Senior Director, Professional Learning at Effective School Solutions.
0: The MindBeat podcast is the definitive source for all topics related to school-based mental health. From sharing best practices to highlighting innovative school districts to keeping track of legislation, MindBeat is the go-to source for educators and administrators looking to implement a mental health care continuum. Together, we can make a difference in school-based mental health care and in the lives of students, families, and educators. Let's get started. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Mind Beat podcast. I'm Duncan Young, CEO of Effective School Solutions. And
1: I'm Lane Whitaker, Senior Director of Professional Learning at Effective School Solutions.
0: Today we have Elizabeth Cotter and Vanessa Audello, two of our teammates here at Effective School Solutions. And Elizabeth and Vanessa are both involved in a, a really interesting piece of work that we're doing with a district partner around early childhood mental health consultation. And they're going to be here to tell us a little bit more about that project.
1: Looking forward to it, yes. Yeah,
0: how are you doing, Lane? I'm Good. I'm good. How about you? Good. I'm doing great. So by the time this airs, it'll be some point in the future. But Memorial Day weekend has just passed. Has just passed. We we talked on one of our previous episodes about kind of the, you know, the, the big three of summer holidays, Memorial Day, Fourth of July, Labor Day. So the, the first of the big three has just passed. How did it go for you? Well,
1: I want to give some gratitude to Mother Nature because this is like the first Memorial Day I can remember in a long time where it didn't rain. And actually, we had like a solid three days of sunshine and nice weather. So thank you. Um yeah. I had a really fun one. I had, um, there's a three day barbecue. I like to go to every year and day one, you got to go day one when the food is the best. So I had like the most amazing brisket and the food was just unbelievable. So that was a great, great kickoff. And then, um, I went to a festival in Maryland with a bunch of girlfriends. Um, I'd been before, but this one was really fun. It was like a Caribbean wine festival. So it was like a two hour drive. You're like out in the country in these vineyards. And, um, It was really great music, good food, and I bought a cool hat that day because it was so hot. (laughs) And, you know, um, just a lot of fun, like, you know, festival type stuff. Good food, good, um, you know, jewelry and wares and things like that. But it was fun. Then Monday was just restful. Yeah, just good
0: good chill day. That's great. Yeah. How about you? Yeah, went up to Vermont for a couple of days, so got out of the heat, uh, oh, which geez. was nice. It was actually quite quite chilly up there. Uh, I, I I fish, as you may or may not know. No, and I so didn't I, know that. I tried to I tried to catch some fish. I was unsuccessful. Oh. So uh, I got out there. I was I was planning to go into the river. There was someone camping at the place that I usually go into <laughs> at the river. <laughs> I didn't. It totally threw me off. So I, I I then ended up like you know kind of trudging through the underbrush trying to get mm. to another point kind of on the river and. And, uh you know was out there for like an hour and just finally kind of gave up Fish weren't do you biting, so fish
1: by yourself is that just like a solitude time yeah, or do I you bring by myself? kids yeah, okay yeah.
0: I'll, I'll, I'll take my kids sometimes yeah so, yeah i would say their enthusiasm for yeah. fishing is probably not at the level that it is for me so well
1: I imagine i'm not a fisher but I imagine there's some type of mindfulness involved right like it's oh, sure. just like and a I, lot I, of waiting and like you know yeah and this is, to, and like...
0: this is fly fishing so there's oh. definitely a rhythmic component mm-hmm. to it and so it's definitely a definitely a good good time for sure cool yeah, well, I've seen
1: it like on the boat. Like I've been on boats on the ocean, and I have not been the one fishing, but I've seen people reel things in. It's it looks exciting.
0: It is very meditative, <laughs> and you have to be kind of comfortable with long periods of time of waiting. Uh, you know, ha- you know. Well, there's the with, mindfulness with nothing in. happening, and, and if you're me as the fisherman, like yeah. especially long periods of time with nothing <laughs> happening. So, I do a lot more waiting than I do than I do fishing. So, uh, well, why don't why don't we uh, jump into it and get started with our top three for uh, for today?
1: Sounds good. So our top three today is the top three mental health apps right now. So um, I have to say, you know, I don't I have a few of these apps, but I went through a couple, uh, websites living well, or I think is it, uh, yeah, I think it's called living well and Healthline, And I borrowed their top 10 mental health apps. So I narrowed it down to top three for us. What was cool about that is that there are so many mental health apps, they kind of broke it down into categories. So the number one overall pick was called mood kit and, uh, sort of the, 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 Pros of that one—that's that it's evidence-based. That there's a large variety of activities that the app supports. There's a journal feature to track progress. The cons I'm told are that there's sometimes some tech issues could be a, could be afoot. Then number two was Talkspace, and this one was considered best for online therapy. I shouldn't say online, app therapy. Um, it had direct access to mental health professionals, uh, provided live sessions. There was an option to change your therapist if you weren't you know, feeling that connection. And what was really big about this is that it was 24-7 access to, to treatment, which is you know, unheard of if you're trying to go in real life, right? Um, and then when I say real life, I mean non-virtually in person. And then the cons of that was just that it is an expensive but yeah, convenient app. <laughs> so then the Calm app, which I have to say we actually have access to as employees of ESS, so thank you, Duncan, for doing that for us. Um, but the Calm app is really it was rated best for sleep. I think it's you can use it for all kinds of things. It was just rated best for sleep because it's a mindfulness app. It provides guided meditations. Breathing techniques, calming exercises, and a wide variety of like stories, and some of them are, are uh, featuring celebrity narrati- narrators. There's an extensive music library and nature sounds, so it, you know it promotes really great sleep. So the pros of that one are it also tracks your stats. Um, again, has that sleep music library, and then mood tracking as well, so you can start to to detect patterns in your uh, moods. And then the cons is that that one is also subscription based. So I am very excited that ESS provides that for us and for our own staff mental health. Um, but that's our top three.
0: Good stuff. Awesome. Thanks. I'll have to check. Uh, definitely familiar with Calm, less familiar with the other two, but mm-hmm. uh, we'll definitely have to check those out. And I, I, I should note that that we are not, you know, uh, 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 kind of sponsored by any. Of no, those, no, uh, no. I should yeah. have. Yeah. This is just. Uh... Although, if any of those companies <laughs> would like to throw a little cabbage our way, like know, we're not right? going to be not going to be opposed to that. So. <laughs> right. All right, well, let's get into In the News. The article that I'm going to highlight today is uh, actually from uh, NPR, WNYC, and uh, the title is This High School Senior Science Project Could One Day Save Lives. And this is a really interesting article that, of course, we'll, we'll post up in the MindBeat description that is talking about a Texas high schooler named Sidhu Pachipala, who uh, saw a role for artificial intelligence in helping with suicide prevention. He's a senior at the Woodlands College Park High School, which is in a suburb outside of Houston. And basically what he has developed, as I understand it from the article, is a, uh, an app called SuiCensor uh, that uh, is, it, uh, enables a student to take a self-assessment of their suicide risk And then is using AI and machine learning, specifically natural language processing, to look for specific signs or indicators of suicidality. So I think Mm. this is really kind of interesting. He's apparently won kind of a lot of uh, uh, awards for this. And this app has been kind of, uh, you know, uh, recognized quite a bit. Um, According to this article, SUI sensor predicted suicide risk with 98% accuracy. Not sure exactly how they're how they're kind of measuring that. Um, and so I, you know, I, I think uh, I, I want to highlight this article because I think the potential for AI in uh, mental health care is interesting and promising. I also think it does not come without risks. And I think there's a, a risk of kind of over-diagnosis, under-diagnosis, false positives, false negatives that we've got to be cognizant of. Um, and I, I really kind of admire what this young person has, has done. I think it's good uh, to use articles like this to initiate a broader conversation about you know the role of AI and machine learning and how we can responsibly use it kind of in uh in, in mental health care so uh but but you know we encourage yeah, everyone right to, to take a look and and read the article uh, It actually gets in uh later in the article to to some of the the broader issues and the both you know pitfalls perils, and promise kind of of, of mm-hmm. ai and in mental health so a good good article to take a look at
1: oh, that is interesting, thank you
0: Sure. Okay, Lane, well, why don't we jump right into it? We are excited to have two incredible guests with us today. These are two of our teammates here at ESS, uh, Elizabeth Cotter and Vanessa Audello. Um, And Elizabeth and Vanessa have been working together on some amazing work that we're doing out in California uh, that is really geared around early childhood mental health consultation and really kind of working Um, with one of our our district partners in uh, Monterey Peninsula, California, to help build capacity uh, to address the mental health uh, needs of uh, our earliest learners, our pre-K kiddos, our TK kiddos, and and uh, so we're really excited to hear yes. uh, from them about some of their work in, in what I think is a very innovative project, new new for ESS. And, and really, we've been honored to kind of work with the district in this way. Mm-hmm. Uh, let me let me give a quick introductions for both Elizabeth and uh, Vanessa. So Elizabeth uh, is a licensed professional counselor. She has a master's degree in community counseling from Western Connecticut. State University and a bachelor's degree in dance education from New York University. Uh, she has over 15 years of comprehensive clinical experience and really has specialized in working with women, children, and families. Uh, she has worked both in public and private schools, private practice, and nonprofit agencies as a therapist, a group facilitator, a clinical consultant, professional development presenter, clinical leadership roles, kind of the the list goes on. She's also an adjunct professor of psychology at Nagatok Valley Community College um, and. Uh, after read that, just wondering kind of how she has any free time. I mean, it's an amazing uh, you know list of uh, of accomplishments there. Uh, Vanessa <laughs> Vanessa uh, obtained her bachelor of science in child development from California State University Fresno, uh, uh, born and, and raised in the Central Valley of uh, California, in that Fresno area. Uh, and Vanessa obtained her master of social work with an emphasis on children and families. Her early passion for working with children stems from having two autistic brothers and uh, uh, you know has really kind of focused on learning to enter their world through play sensory integration and other forms of language and communication so Vanessa we're really excited to have you with us here today yes, Elizabeth thank and you. Vanessa welcome
1: thank you for coming great
0: to great to see you thank so you so elizabeth thank you. We're you are up be in here. you're up in Connecticut right now and Vanessa you're on the west coast we've got this might be our first kind of a bicoastal that's our second bicoastal All right, we had one, yeah. podcast we just had one mm-hmm. had one uh, earlier uh, so uh, uh, great to see both of you, and thanks so much for taking the time to be with us today.
2: Yeah, exactly. no, thank you. And it's amazing the work we can do now, right <laughs> across the country virtually, it's, right? You know, exactly, absolutely.
0: Exactly. So So, you know, I I think one of the things we love to do with guests on the podcast before we get into some of the work that you're doing right now is just hear a little bit, uh, you know, about each of you and kind of your your personal journeys. And Vanessa, maybe we could start with you. We heard a little bit uh, about your personal journey and how you got into to, you know, your your current field from the introduction that I provided. Can you tell us a little bit more about kind of how you how you kind of ended up choosing the career path that you chose?
3: Sure well, I think a lot of um the reasons were a big piece of my brothers. Um, I saw a lot of the difficulties and challenges um that my mom and my dad had just having two sons on the spectrum and not knowing what to do. you know, this was like in the 80s, <laughs> in the 80s and 90s, so there weren't a lot of services available. And so I just remember being very you know young, but recognizing my brothers didn't have language, their gross motor, you know, it was very delayed. Um, So for me, I think I always wanted to know, I was all those curious kids. I wanted to know why, you know, what can I do? So um, I kind of fell into, I want to say fell into the profession because of the passion I had for the advocating. Um, So I remember I would go visit my brothers in their classrooms and I would volunteer. And so I was just always able to kind of immerse myself in the culture. And so that was, like the best experience. And then um, I come from a fourth generation of bakeries, a bakery owners. So Mm -hmm. my father actually owned a bakery. And so again, immersed in a different culture, all of that fun stuff. And I got my first actually early childhood interventionist job at a high risk facility for mental health and um, substance abuse. So I worked there for about 12 years as a therapeutic coordinator, where I worked with nothing but you know, families coming from um, high risk, um, lower socioeconomic um, needs. So I did that for about 12 years, a lot of trauma work. So I have a lot of history and background in um, really helping families um, with the trauma background. And that led to, of course, understanding central nervous systems and how you know the brain and body can become disconnected and helping that um, regulation kind of happen. So I've been probably in the field, I want to say like 20 years. Yeah. God, kind so of really years. kind of
0: one thing led to, to the other. So that's- Yeah, and really it's just the love
3: that. of it. So yeah. Bruce Perry was a really big piece of like my passion. Then we, now we have like Mona Della, Hook. We have all these wonderful people um, in the field that just bring so much knowledge. Yeah,
0: thanks for that. So Elizabeth, how about you?
2: You know, I came in um, probably through the mind body aspect as well. I was actually a dancer. Um and a dance teacher, and I did um, internships in college at the ninety second Street Y and Ballet Hispanico, and I was teaching creative movement. So I was doing early learning as kind of like you know, my internships and side gigs in in college, but you know, you couldn't help but notice not only the mind body connection, but like notice how the learning changed children. Um you know, and I think that start to ask ask a lot of questions. I was very interested in dance therapy. Um, at that time, which is a great modality. Um, But I think my questions were a little bit larger than that. Um, And I did. I stayed in the dance world and I worked in fitness for a long time. But um, you know, I always found that my interest was really in um, that the changes that I was seeing in people, right, were about that connection and how they felt about themselves and just how do we use our bodies, right, to heal the mind and what is the connection. And I feel like a little bit older than Vanessa, so a little bit longer, there wasn't as much research, especially not with children, you know, especially not with children. So I did go into counseling and therapy and became a licensed clinician, but I've always kept that piece in my work with especially um, children and young women um, and families. I taught music together for a long time. I was, um, you know, working with families with music and play and, and movement and I just it's so exciting. So it was really exciting to have this opportunity at ESS to kind of come back to my grassroots, you know, and like, be like, oh my gosh, we're playing and we're singing and we're dancing. Like, this is amazing. And I feel like Vanessa and I, even though we're on opposite posts, really have kind of kindred spirits, sure. you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we really have a passion for a lot of this work. And we especially believe in the power of relationship. and And we see that our work with adults who work with children, right? And helping them recognize the joy and the inspiration that brought them to this field is healing for the children and for the families. Um, And I really think that's really the basis of a lot of this program. Um, You know, Vanessa truly brings a lot of joy day to day in the work that she does. And I think that's why it's been so successful.
0: Yeah, thanks, Elizabeth.
1: So I love hearing those origin stories. Thank you so much for sharing. Uh, Can you tell us a little bit about the work that you're doing in Monterey? What are the critical needs of your early learners and and what are the key components of of our program we're doing out there?
2: Well, I think Vanessa can give you the kind of boots on the ground. Um, You know, we really began this program because um, you know, the district was really seeing that the needs in the classroom were greater than anticipated as the return from covid um I, not to say i you know and i think we're all hearing this from districts that we were seeing an increased need for mental health services before right um but they really wanted to try something unique and felt that it was really um limiting to just work at that tier three level right or even tier two to just work you know when children get to crisis mode and what can we do at that tier one level To help support teachers and classrooms, um, provide safe, healthy places. So um, the early childhood mental health consultant model just was this really amazing fit, like to work with the teachers and the adults who spend the time with the children, um, you know, working on how can we adapt as adults? How can we change our environment to help children to, you know, reach their optimal potential, right? So Um, Vanessa was kind of that unicorn that we found (laughs) that had this background personally, professionally, who really matched what our ideas were. And we were so grateful and excited to find her um, and her training. And it just really fit exactly what that district was looking for. And it's been amazing. Um, I, I think Vanessa can give you a little bit more of a day in the life glimpse as to what she does day to day. It varies. Um, It involves puppets often and it sounds exhausting. So it's much easier here from Connecticut. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Do
3: tell. Yeah. So basically a lot of my work is a lot of just getting down on the ground and doing human connection with the children. It's, you know, um, teaching that education can be fun. It can really bring in a lot of sensory integration into the classroom. And what that basically looks like is we have a lot of children who (sighs) they have difficulty with just taking in noise and movement and taking in instruction and then trying to organize their bodies. Um, I noticed a lot of children had a lot of difficulty just sitting in a chair, um, holding pencils. So I'm like, okay, in order to start from this part, that frontal part of the brain, we need to do a lot of brainstem activities. So that means we need to start introducing obstacle courses again. We need to do um you know a lot of just sensory play like with sand and to get those you know brain the brain activated in those ways because we have to remember too for about two and a half years these children were kind of isolated in their own little bubbles and so they were very much um using the screens for their interaction with peers or whoever else so a lot of those areas didn't fully develop so i had to go in and let the teachers know like hey you know what are some struggles that you're having you know what do you in, what do you want this to look like? So that way, I also wanted to gear it towards each individual teacher, their individual differences, which is very very important, and um, the children's individual differences. So everything is basically geared towards the sensory system, co-regulation, which is that beauty of like the dance between the adult and the student, if the child's you know having a very chaotic day. They need someone to come in and help soothe that sensory system. Um, So a lot of the work is just getting the children to calm, (laughs) try to calm that system so they can take in information. They can begin using more of their motor abilities in a regulated way. So the (laughs) day-to-day is a lot of movement and dancing and singing and my little puppets that come out, you know, when they need to. So the children have like an anchor or like something that grounds them. So that's the day-to-day.
1: It's a lot of this. You know, we ta- I'm sure I've said it on this podcast. I definitely talk about it a lot um, offline, but you know, I'm really curious to see what the what the studies say after we've been a little further removed from the pandemic to find out what the effect has been on our early, le- like I think about kids who are born during the pandemic or shortly before and how, you know, only seeing people with masks and not having family come over um, and celebrate holidays and traditions and rituals and how that's going to affect that generation long term. So um, I'm really excited that, you know, you're proactively doing this work to prevent any further harm for, for that generation. So thank you so much.
0: Vanessa, can you talk you referenced it a couple minutes ago but can you talk a little bit more about what you've seen as the impact of the pandemic on our earliest learners and that period of isolation that you that you referenced uh, you know what 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 are you observing right now given your time in the field and and you know what do you what do you think the future? We talk about kids' resiliency, and I think one of the questions we ask a lot is kind of like, you know, are some of these challenges that our young people experiencing uh, a temporary setback en route to kind of like, you know, uh, quote-unquote normalcy, or are we seeing more of kind of a new normal given kind of this experience that they've gone through? What's your perspective on that?
3: Let me think about that. (laughs) Um, It's kind of, I don't want to say... So the new normal, I know that's a term that's being thrown out quite a bit. I think it's important that we kind of gear uh, gear ourselves a little bit closer to kind of what we missed out during the pandemic. I think it's just that human connection piece was something that we almost (laughs) started looking at as something that was a stressor, right? So I think for... I don't want to, like, you know, (laughs) say too much because all the evidence is still coming out, the evidence-based, you know, research and everything. But I think what I have seen personally from before the pandemic to now would be there was just, there's a big lack of, like, the children not understanding the difference between um, the virtual world and reality. Mm -hmm. And so we're seeing a discrepancy of children not really being able to detach themselves from I'm a character from Roblox, and then they act out all these kind of like characters. I've seen kiddos do a lot more atypical social interactions than they typically would. Um, They have a lot of uh, stress responses. So little things that typically wouldn't stress a child um, causes really complete meltdowns. And so I think um, that would probably be the main thing I have seen quite a bit. I think if we, change our perspective quite a bit from like, oh, these behaviors are doing it on purpose versus these are stress responses sure. because they have not been desensitized to any of the outside world, basically. You know, we're taking these kiddos mm-hmm. who have had really no social interaction and putting them in schools or all of a sudden they're with like 20 children and they really just don't know how to function. So I'm, hope, I'm hoping that um, we can change.
0: Sure. Yeah, some of
3: the systems that we have in place yeah, and think, really look at that through a different. Yeah, methods. I think that would
0: imply kind of that, that that makes me hopeful because I think it would imply kind of a transient or temporary nature to this. If we're able if a lot of what we're seeing right now is kind of a logical uh, conclusion of kind of like a period of time where students uh, uh, kind of missed out on some of this socialization. If we reintroduce the socialization, will we eventually kind of see kind of different results? So appreciate that, that, that kind of uh, perspective there.
1: Given everything that you just explained, we, you you know, we took a really unique approach to this project incorporating DIR model in early childhood education. So can you tell our audience a little bit about what is DIR and why has it been so helpful? Oh, and I should also say, before you answer that, I should also say that DIR is a part of it, but also a big part of your um, your program has been our, our ESS's own trauma-attuned model, which is our proprietary blend of trauma-informed practices. So can you tell us about the relationship between that and DIR as, and give us a little explanation about both?
0: Yeah, Vanessa, go for it. Go for it.
3: Okay. So with DIR, um, I do take some of, because I'm a basic practitioner in DIR, DIR floor time. So a lot of the pieces that really help in a classroom is that regulation and human connection, attunement, and the co-regulation aspects. So we want to see children being able to enter environments, intersensory experiences with the ability to regulate. So I'm trying to not get too sciencey. <laughs> kind of like try to make it as easy We're as nerds possible. We're on here, go
1: for it, we love it.
3: Okay, I'm like, hold on. <laughs> so basically we want children to be able to regulate in a way that they modulate their systems. So we have these eight beautiful sensory systems in place, but when we have children who, you know, don't really have the modulation, don't have all these wonderful things in place, DIR floor time takes um, a step back and it really follows the child's lead. So we get to enter the child's world and how their sensory system um, is working, how it operates. So like for instance, um, we could hear a really loud noise and some kiddos are not gonna even turn around while some are gonna hide under a table, cover their ears and really be in fear of everything when it comes to auditory. So um, with DIR, a big piece of being that practitioner, too, is you're able to just join the child where they are and slowly help them build the capacities. Um, so that's the beauty of the work in DIR floor time is you just have to, like, pause and really try to gradually work through all the child's senses, emotions, and you really learn how to, like, co-regulate and come together.
2: And I think the real crux is that, like understanding each child's individual differences, as Vanessa had referenced, is going to help us to tailor, right, our own unique relational approach with each child, um, because we're really understanding, you know, children, as Vanessa talked about, process things differently. We process things with with our, our mind, with our emotions, with our body, with our senses. So we're looking at all of those aspects of how children are taking in information. And again, like, let's put that into relationship of w- where were we during <laughs> the pandemic, right? And we have children walking into school who had experiences very different from other generations. So that's where it's so difficult to see right now like exactly where we're going and make predictions of you know what what will be the lasting results and what are the really you know best interventions for our littlest learners right now that's kind of uh to be determined as we're gathering research
1: yeah yeah you've put a lot of focus and emphasis on that co-regulation too can you just tell we have a lot of parents in our in our audience as listeners as well can you just talk a little bit about what that co-regulation you know when i when i think about that the first thing that comes to mind is like when a kid falls like a 2 year old will fall and have a uh oh and they sort of look to the caregiver in the room am i okay and when we go oh my god the baby fell and they they like, go oh my god i'm not okay and have a meltdown uh, versus you're you're fine, you're fine. And the, the child goes, okay, I'm good. And, you know, that's kind of how I, the first thing that comes to mind when I think of co-regulation. But what are you doing in the classroom as a consultant to help foster that? And also what are some maybe tips that our parents could use if you have small kids, you know, born during the pandemic who are not regulating as well or um, at the developmental level that they should be? What, what can parents do?
0: Um,
3: well, I think for the teachers, for instance, that co-regulation piece is, you don't want to join in the child's chaos right so if their systems are just dysregulated they're it's hyper vigilant so that means it's up here um and they can't really take in anything outside of themselves like it's they're in the red zone like let's say um basically what that looks like is i would come in i would go down to the child's level i would mo- kind of like regulate myself breathing through it depending on the child's individual differences I would either use verbal or no verbal at all because they can't take in anything else, but I would like be there for them. I would be, do some deep breathing. I would model all, all of that, but it's tricky because if you have a teacher, a parent, any, any of us have a, has a dysregulated system. um, We're not going to be able to co-regulate with the child because our system is taking over. We're flooded. So we have to be able to kind of learn how to like, take the breath, step away for a moment, or just kind of go somewhere in our minds, almost like that instant meditation, and feel our breathing slow down. So then we can meet the child where they're at and then teach them how to calm. So it's like, you know, you have to be calm to help the child then, you know, calm down, take that breath, but it it doesn't happen overnight. Like this is gonna be weeks, months of work until that child learns and is able to retrieve, you know, those abilities. And it does take a good amount of
2: time to do that.
1: Yeah, consistency, right,
2: <laughs> kind of which, which puts such an emphasis on, on understanding yourself as a parent, as a teacher, as a caregiver. And um, and it's not to say we're supposed to be regulated, you know, rational people at all times. In fact, you know, when we look at research like uh, Tronic still face paradigm, you know, we see that children are um, able to, to reconnect. Do you know when there is a disruption in the regulation, right, like a, in the still-faced paradigm, you know, a mother is asked to just, you know, go void of expression and you watch the baby struggle. You watch the baby see why is mom not smiling and cooing and playing with me. Um, and you see the baby fuss a little bit and maybe even withdraw and go quiet. But the learning, and that's where I think Tronic always emphasized it. It, You know, it's not parent shaming, like you have to be, you know, on all times. The learning happens at the reconnection. Do you know when the baby learns that, oh, look at mom is here, she's back. You know, and I think that's the same in schools that, you know, I think often teachers feel that there's this pressure that I'm supposed to be on and be everything for all students at all times. Um, and, And I think it's really more about understanding yourself, taking that step back, um, breathing, knowing where your temperature is at that given moment. Um, Because children learn lessons when we are not always regulated, but we're still safe and we can bring ourselves back.
0: Sure. right. That's the learning. That's good modeling for them, right? Yeah, yeah.
2: A
3: lot of modeling of how to do that because regulation isn't something we're born with. We learn it, so really crucial that they learn that, those simple little foundational steps.
0: So Vanessa and Elizabeth, if we go kind of big picture here and if you think about kind of like nationally and mental health for our earliest learners, if you had kind of each of you had kind of one recommendation that you give to districts around the country when it comes to supporting the mental health needs of our of our earliest learners, what what would that what would that be?
2: I know what I would say right off the bat. <laughs> And for me, right off the bat, and I, again, I feel like I said it already, is um, support for the teachers, right? Like like really spending more time helping staff, first of all, helping staff understand why are we talking about attunement and co-regulation? And what are really the effects of these relationships physically on these little brains and bodies, right? Like really helping them understand that it literally changes our physical composition, when we grow in healthy relationships. And, and I think spending the time, you, you know, explaining the rationale and and giving time to teachers to reflect as a group together, um, you, you know, to really have time to take care of yourself during the school day, I think that that would be the most valuable thing that we could do uh, just when I'm looking from a systemic. Uh, and of course, more music play, <laughs> well, Dance, you, 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 know, you, you
0: mentioned music together and I feel like I've got all those songs like burned into my brain from driving around with my kids when they were little and so if you if you after after the set after the podcast here we can do do a little uh you know uh you know duet of uh, some you know music together classics
2: some of the classics together. right I mean Absolutely. there's nothing like shaking an egg or drumming mm-hmm. with like a group of people is isn't it true though like for bonding as a family for bonding as a community like, that's the thing about classes like that. Like, when a group does that together, like, what a bonding. And, and, and Bruce Perry talks about rhythmic interventions as being so healing for um, not just little ones, but for all of us.
0: It's kind um, of like socialization on steroids almost. It's yeah. almost like the direct opposite of maybe what student, you know, young people have gone through during the pandemic. That's almost kind of like, a, you know, a, an enhanced kind of version of socialization that's so beneficial to them.
2: And as our sense of self develops through with our relationship with others, you know, our initially it's our caregiver when we're little. Right. But then when we get older, right, it's it's how we define ourselves with our peers in elementary school. You know, we start to label ourselves like I'm a ballerina, you know, I'm a soccer kid. You know, or what, you know, like we start to. And then, of course, once we get to adolescence. Right. It's that sense of we where do I fit in or where don't I fit in? Right you know, that gives us those messages, but it's all about community and relationships. So, right. We lost so much the past couple of years. I keep
1: hearing you emphasize play, how play and being in your body and the music, all of that is play. That's like my new uh, emphasis right now is on the power of play. And uh, that mixed with co-regulation seems like that's been a big part of your um, programs, which I think is amazing.
0: So Vanessa, I think I think what Elizabeth's saying is that all mental health challenges can be addressed via the use of rhythmic eggs. do you do you agree? Do you agree with that?
3: I think, yeah, the rhythmic component really does it, I mean, we've all we've seen the evidence-based research where even individuals who have um Alzheimer's and things like that, they hear music and all of a sudden they can remember things. They can remember how to play the piano. So it does really talk to a different part of the brain. So when you're working with children, it really does some it regulates them. It really connects these, you know, neurons that maybe typically they wouldn't have, you know, have those opportunities. So for me in the perfect world, we would probably start our mornings with sensory integration, music and movement. Um teachers have their shoes off, you know, and just kind of show the relaxation. You know, in the classroom, they have the lights down low, they have areas where the children and they can just Go sit down, read a book and relax and start the day off with a calm, regulated central nervous system versus the chaos of traffic getting there. My coffee spilled on my shirt. The kids are crying in the background. So they come to a calm environment, which, of course, is then going to calm them internally. So. First hour of school wouldn't be
1: academic work. It would be working on the sensory system. There you go.
0: Great recommendations. Yeah.
1: I do have to say that I'm interested in the puppets, though, as well. Uh, when I heard you mention puppets earlier, it took me right back to Mr. Rogers. And when they would go to the land of make-believe, I would lose my mind. I was so excited to follow Trolley into the land of make-believe and see yeah. the puppets. Um, but this was actually a good segue into our final question. We like to ask all of our guests what's in your mental health toolkit. So as you were just describing, some self-care for for teachers and what they should be doing to start their mornings off. I'm curious, what is your routines, whether that be at morning or throughout the day? What, you know, is it yoga, meditation, exercise, dance, Elizabeth? What is it for you guys? (laughs)
2: I know for me, definitely. It's like that full sensory experience, right? Like I really do need to think about all of my senses and, and, and whether it be that I have a warm blanket on my lap or, you know, my dog by my side or right exercise in the morning, or just even thinking about right, like, um, essential oils or lighting a candle or, you, you know, like really thinking about kind of feeding all of those senses. I think we often think of just like music in the radio, like on the way to work, you know, but like, that's about, you know, I think that's it. So I really definitely try to think about, am I feeding all of my senses? And that's a nice way to start the day for me.
1: I love that.
2: Well, that's
3: a good one. I should take that. Um, I I really concentrate on being mindful in the moment. Yeah, there's just so much traffic noise. I wouldn't say like in my brain, constantly thinking, thinking, thinking. So I think for me, it's just staying in the moment, You know, doing the whole sense of one thing I can see, one thing I can smell and just grounding myself and then just waking up and just saying thank you, like being grateful for that one thing um, has really just helped. That's like kind of like my little self-care, putting my feet in the dirt, in the sand as much as possible um, just to get, you know just that awareness of, hey, I'm here. Grounding, <laughs> um, yeah. That's, yeah, a lot of grounding um, activities work for me. Uh, a lot of weights. I love lifting weights, so I get my proprioception.
1: <laughs> so little things like that. I love that. I like to do a little morning walk in my garden every morning <laughs> and feel like the wet grass, like the dewy grass. Yes. I love that. We've talked about before. We before. We, we, we,
0: g- gardening is a is a very common <laughs> witty banter topic on the Mindy podcast, yeah. so a lot of-
1: It's yeah. mindfulness, it's mindfulness.
0: A lot of gardening talk. <laughs>
1: Uh, thank you so much for sharing those, those, uh, mental health toolkit practices of yours. We really appreciate it. And thank you so much for being here with us and talking about this really important program. We wish you a lot of luck and success in year two. Um, so just thank you.
0: Elizabeth, Vanessa, I appreciate both of you and everything that you're doing to support our, our, our kiddos out there. And just, uh, thanks for everything. Thank you.
2: Thank you so much. (laughs)
0: Okay. Uh, so let's get into our, uh, what's inspired us this week. And, mm-hmm. uh, so my inspiration this week was, um, uh, this is, I, I don't know if it's inspirational. It, it's, uh, I thought it was a, a funny type of thing. So I was at a, um, uh, so my, my, uh, wife took my two older daughters to the Taylor Swift concert this week. They can only get three tickets. And so my youngest daughter, uh, God bless her was left out and did not get a ticket to the Taylor Swift concert. So, my job as uh, kind of the the kind of non-Taylor Swift attending parent was to try to create the funnest possible day for her like in, entirely. And so I, I decided to take her down to this uh, uh, kind of like uh, what's billed as the world's giant uh, biggest go-kart course uh, okay. down in Edison, New Jersey. So we go down to uh, this place called uh, Supercharge. Can I say the name? Um, I'm, you know, so, it's too late. And, and we get in with her and like a little friend and we uh, – she's 10 and we – we we walk in and immediately we walk in and the the person at the door is just kind of looks her up and down. I was like, nope. And she pulls out the the little height bar of like you must be <laughs> no. this height to ride the ride. And uh-huh. she's a good six inches off of being oh, able to go no. on the, the go kart. But but they did have a um, they did have like an arcade. And so uh, and and one of the things that they had on the arcade was the mechanical claw. You know, with the stuffed mm-hmm. animals right, where you it picks it out. And so what inspired me is she actually got a stuffed animal using the mechanical claw, which uh-huh. I was like amazed by. Cause I, I thought that was a total I scam. I yeah. And I actually thought, <laughs> I thought there was a, and if you look at the claw, they only close like 50% of the way. <laughs> so it's never closey enough to actually pick up mm-hmm. the tiny little stuffed animal. But she managed to get this stuffed animal. It was like a giraffe. And I think got it like, you know, by the ears just right. So, and, and and you go over and the giraffe is like hanging on by a thread and you're like, oh my gosh, it's gonna, it's gonna fall back into the stuffed animal pit. But mm-hmm. it did not. It got over to the little uh, retrieval area and, uh, that was what inspired me is that she actually Aww. won a stuffed animal with the mechanical claw. And it only cost her, you know, 28 credits on her little credit card <laughs> or whatever that was. So <laughs>
1: that makes me think of what is it, Toy Story 3 when they have the whole claw? Yeah, that claw. Yeah, yeah. The claw, <laughs> the claw, right? So, how about you? Um, okay. So, I like to listen to other podcasts like ours about mental health or motivation. And I, are you familiar with Mel Robbins? I'm not. Oh, get a, get into her podcast or follow her on Instagram. She's really, really cool. I found her through Jay Shetty, who is another um, podcaster, motivational speaker that I enjoy. So she came up with this thing that I heard this week called the let them theory. Have you ever heard of this? Um, I see our producers are nodding their head that they've heard of this. This is great. This will change your life. The let them theory. So some of the examples that she gave, for instance, are did you not get invited to brunch with your girlfriends and you see it online? Let them. Did you want your child to you know, do XYZ with you this weekend and they don't want to? Your you're teenager? Let them. Um, you know, do you 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 want your friends or your spouse to do dry January with you and they don't want to? Let them. And so the the let them theory is basically that stop wasting a lot of precious time and energy trying to force people to be who you want them to be or to do the things that you want them to do. Um, and instead, let them. Let them be. And then the power comes into, now I get to decide how to respond to whatever they do, rather than trying to manipulate or control, which is really a function of anxiety, right? That when we're anxious about something, we try to control it to, to feel um, better about it, right, to soothe our nervous system. So I was really inspired by this, just the let them theory that it's sort of a surrendering, I guess, to to situations and people that you can't control, and they, that there's peace in that surrender. So I, I'm that's my new thing now, the let them theory. I like it. I'm yeah. gonna I'm
0: gonna I'm gonna try to work that into my personal <laughs> life later today. So yeah. <laughs>
1: well, it's really applicable for so many things. Like yeah. I just gave a couple of examples that that Mel Robbins gave, but it's applicable in a number it's of ways.
0: It's for like Zen type of approach. Yeah, right?
1: it's a like surrendering. Yeah. Let them, let you. Be, them, like, be yeah. like
0: water, you know. So
1: I can't control what anyone does. How, how often do we say that in schools? What can you control? You know, it's the um the serenity prayer. Sure. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. Well, good stuff. Uh, yeah. Lane, good to see you as always. Uh, Likewise. thanks to all of our loyal Mindbeat listeners. We're uh, really excited that all of you were able to join uh, like subscribe, share all that good stuff. And we'll talk to you next time on another episode of the mind beat podcast.
1: Thanks everybody. The Mindbeat podcast is a production of effective school solutions. Mindbeat represents the opinions of Duncan Young, Lane Whitaker, and their guests on the show. The content here should not be taken as medical advice. The content here is for informational purposes only. Please consult your healthcare professional for any medical questions. This podcast should not be used in any legal capacity whatsoever, including but not limited to establishing a standard of care in a legal sense or as a basis for expert witness testimony. No guarantee is given regarding the accuracy of any statements or opinions made on this podcast. If you or someone you know is experiencing a mental health crisis, please call the 988 Suicide and Crisis Lifeline, the SAMHSA National Helpline at 1 800 662 HELP, or your local health care provider.